I know you've been standing for a while, so let's get into the word. Chapter 13 of Genesis. And Abram went out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Watch this. And Lot also, and Lot also, which went with Abram. Lot called on the name of the Lord too, because he went with Abram. He's staying close to Abram. Amen? Now, let's continue on just a little bit further and see what the Lord would say to us. And Lot also, which went with Abram, he had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife, or there was a fight that broke out between some of their workers, the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my herdmen and thy herdmen. For we be brethren. This is important to Abram. There will be no strife between us because we are brothers. Is not the whole land before thee? Somebody say the whole land. Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. And this is where the aberration begins. He said, separate yourself from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. But if you want the right, then I'll take the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan. It was well watered uh, everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. So verse 11, then Lot chose him all of that plain. Lot chose that. He journeyed to the east, and they separated themselves from one another. Lot chose the east, and they separated themselves from one another. I want to teach to you tonight, preach to you a little bit with the help of the Lord. Don't blame the land. Don't blame the land. You may be seated in Jesus' name. I hope that I can do this justice as to the way the Lord spoke this into my spirit. I felt like sometime yesterday the Lord began to deal with me about this, and uh, I want to begin tonight, I want it to be a positive note, but I, I want us to deal with some realities that are in front of us, and that is that you and I are not living in the world that we always thought we were living in. This is a different day and time. The further we go, the more we find out, the less we knew. And there are things that transpire above us and beyond us that we don't have any control over. I mean, is there a single person in here tonight that by making a phone call could cause all the chaos in Europe to stop right now? Anybody in here got that kind of power? Is there one person in here over the last two years that could have made one phone call to the NIH and said, hey, 
take care of this thing. It's done. It's over with. Is, um, anybody have that kind of power? No. But we've had to deal with things as we went. And so, um, boy, I, I want this to come off right tonight. But I've had some, some folks come to me over the last little while and talk about how hard it's been. The things that they've lost and, and uh, the people that have left. And it's been hard to have revival and can't get the church filled back up. And just tough times. Things going crazy, I suppose, for some. Thank God. For this precious church, we never had that problem. Amen. Amen. From Mother's Day on, you all have been faithful to the house of God. If you couldn't be here, you weren't here. If you could be here, you were here. And I thank God for that. But there's something, in my opinion, that I feel is so distracting. And that is that we get so caught up in what's happening in the land that we forget the inherent promises of God. That upon this rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God's church is not American. God's church is not democratic. We don't get a choice in, in voting on this. We don't, have, we don't have an option as to whether or not we vote on revival. There's no shortcuts to it. And I look at people tonight in foreign lands, places that you and I can't even get to. I sat with a missionary just a few days ago that uh, uh, they are missionaries in a land that uh, we just call them access challenge lands. Can't, we can't, there's no, I couldn't even get there. By the grace of God and the visas that he's got, he's been able to get there. There are places that today, like there's no way that I could go to Chicago, go to any uh, embassy anywhere and make it happen it just doesn't happen like that especially right now but this is what I want you to know in an access challenge land where there's trouble all around where the major percentage of people in that land know that if they forsake the religious heritage of their family they'll be beheaded and they'll murder them and kill their children and torture them there are people today that are being filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and being baptized in Jesus' name. The land does not determine the kind of revival that we have. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. What matters is what's going on in the church. What matters is what's going on in the prayer room. What matters is what's going on in the heavenlies. I tell you that if we spend all of our time in our prayer asking God to heal the land, we're forsaking the most important thing that will make an impact in the land. God is going to heal the land through his church. And even when the land is destroyed, he said it would be. He said that heaven and earth would pass away, but the word of God that's been put in the heart and the womb of the church will stay alive in us. It will prepare us. For whatever God wants to do and whatever God has to do. But we've got to get to the place where our focus is not on the land. Our focus is on victory. Now, I have seasons in life where I think it's very important to teach you things concerning eschatology and the coming of the Lord. I believe it's vitally important for us to be aware of the devil's devices. I believe it's important for us to be paying close attention to what's happening in our world, not so that we'll have something to blame, but that we'll know it's revival time. I was in that 
meeting this week uh, in two different churches, as a matter of fact. And I'm going to tell you what I saw. I saw churches that were bigger, stronger, in better places than they were two years ago in the state of California. Now, everybody over here has been saying, whoa, I sure hate to be trying to have it there. No, we can't blame the land. This is God's church. And God doesn't care if it's the Midwest, the Pacific Northwest, China. There's revival in the land. It doesn't matter to me what the news tells us. There's good news in this book. And the news is, I believe that there's an outpouring of the Spirit of God. I believe that sons and daughters are prophesying. I believe that old men are dreaming dreams and young men are seeing visions. I believe God's Word is coming to pass. So I I, I want to take you on a little journey tonight if I can. I'm going to do my best to not keep you for a long time, but... I want to walk with you through some things if I can. Now, if you have studied the beginnings, the genesis of the Word of God in any length of time, you are familiar with the story of Lot, which is Abram's nephew. And this is really uh, a very interesting dynamic that we can compare so many things to in this life in which we live right now in this time because there's something intriguing to me about Lot's relationship as he leaves Egypt with Abram he is walking with Abram now this is what I pick up when I read about Abraham okay is that Abraham is walking with the Lord everybody see that the Lord comes to Abraham and speaks to him he's not Abraham yet but he comes to Abram and speaks to him in Ur the Chaldees he didn't speak to him in Jerusalem he promised him Jerusalem Ur of Chaldees was a place that was filled with idolatry. Even his family tree was full of idolatry. God did not wait for the land to get perfected to speak to the man. God spoke to the man and said, come out of the land. This is is reversed to the way we, we look at things. When this settles down and this settles down and that stops, we'll be able to hear from God and we'll have revival. No, I'm going to hear from God right now. And we're going to have revival right now. And we're going to see harvest right now. And we're going to see sons and daughters walk through the doors of this church. And we're going to see lost spouses walk through the doors of this church. And we're going to see miracles. And we're going to see signs. And we're going to see wonders. Well, if we could get somebody in Washington to fight for the church, i got something better than that. I've got something making war in the heavenlies for the church. I know right now that the attack is out in full blast to do everything they can against the American church, the North American church, to take away tax-exempt status, 501c3. They want to do everything they can to get uh, the tax base built back off of churches. But understand me when I tell you, believe it or not, there are churches outside of North America that do not have a 501c3 that are having revival. I know that's hard to believe. What would we do? Well, there's good news. It's his church. Well, how would we make it? It's his church. How would the church make it financially? It's his church. If he's not going to forsake his church in America, he's not going to forsake his church in Canada, he's not going to forsake his church in Mexico. 
He's not going to forsake his church in Central America, North America, South America, Asia, Africa. The church of the living God is alive and well. Heard good news today. Someone asked the president of the United States as he was walking out. They said, Mr. President, do you have anything to say about gas prices? He said, they're going up. It's like, praise God. Been waiting on that. I got up the other morning to go to the airport in California. Brother Haney. I stood at the airport gas station. Couldn't figure out whether I should say shibboleth or sibboleth. I didn't. I said, man, this can't be real. Get you about nine gallons of gas for 60 bucks. Woo! I saw $6. Unbelievable. What are we going to do, Pastor, if it gets expensive? We're going to be faithful. We're going to keep God first. He asked you. Have you ever had a time in your life where he didn't take care of you? Do you honestly believe that God's going to wait till the end time to decide to forsake his church? You know what I believe? I believe God's got his hand on us. I believe God's got his hand on the church. I believe everything's going to be all right. Worry not for the morrow. Worry not about what man can do unto you. Don't worry about the arrow by day. Don't worry about the terror by night. Let's have revival. God's going to do it. What if I lose my job? God will give you another job. What if I can't? What what if I can't? What if I can't? What if I can't? Hey, stop. We got to stop. We got to stop all the what if. I preached a sermon many years ago in the old sanctuary. I said, it's time to put your can on the right side of God. Some people looked at me like, tell your neighbor tonight, put your can on the right side of God. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean, too many of us live with our can on the left side of God. Because we're always saying, can God, can God, can God. But if you'll move the can to the right side of God, you're going to start saying, God can, God can, God can. And when you get some faith, you're going to say, God will. And when it goes a little further, you're going to say, God is. Pastor, when do you think we're really going to have revival? We are having revival. The kingdom of God is exploding all over the world right now. God is doing great things. It's happening. It's happening. Praise God. It's happening. It's happening. Somebody ought to shout that. It's happening. So, God speaks to Abram in Ur of Chaldees. He says, come after me. And so this is a, it's a unique conversation because the Lord did not tell Abram where he was going. He started his walk by faith. Somebody said to me one time, they said, Pastor, you know, I believe in the new birth, but what about people in foreign lands that will never hear about it? What about places where we don't have missionaries? And I'll tell you the answer to that. We have a God where we don't have missionaries. Yeah. 
He's always been God. He was God before we thought we knew how to do foreign missions. Did anybody ever read the story about the missionary that preached to Abram? My God, how are they going to hear about it? Well, how about the Lord just show up and talk to them? It wasn't a missionary that came and prophesied to him, put his finger on his nose, said, Abram, thus saith the Holy Ghost, you're about to get a raise. God is going to elevate you, sir. You're going to stand shoulders above all the rest of the men. And God's going to do great things for you. And God's going to multiply your seed. And your seed's going to be as the sand of the seashore and the stars of the sky. Who told him that? God told him that. God said, if you'll learn to walk by faith when there's no evidence. Listen, Abram, you're the only one in your whole family that's serving me right now. I know how people feel. Well, I wasn't raised in this, Pastor. Listen, Abram wasn't raised in it either. And he is the father of the faithful. We are nowhere called the sons and daughters of Adam. We are nowhere called the sons and daughters of Noah. But we are called the sons of Abraham. We are grafted into the vine of a first generation, one God believer. We are grafted into the vine of Father Abraham. We are grafted into a man that had nobody behind him pushing him, nobody encouraging him, nobody telling him how to do it. God spoke to him. He said, yes, Lord, I'll obey, and I'll follow you. So what we know for sure is that Abraham walked with God. We know he walked with God. We know he did. But by the time we get to the text tonight that I read to you in Genesis 13. Now Abram is not walking alone. He's walking with family. And God has dealt with some of his family. And he has a beautiful woman with him. Very, she must have been, wow. Woo. I don't even know what to say. I mean, goodness gracious. She was so good that she was still making him smile in her 90s. Come on, somebody. I mean, sincerely, I, I, think, I think she must have been breathtaking because when they came in, the king, the king selected her. When they came into the country, the king said, Woo, I believe, I believe that's the one for me. And Abram said, Shh, just tell him you're my sister. Well, it happened. She must have been drop-dead gorgeous. God gave, God gave him a beautiful wife. Thank God for men to get lucky like me and Abram. Come on now. I'm married in the old upward direction. Thank God for it. But now Abram's got a beautiful woman walking with him. And he's got a nephew that's with him. His father had passed away and he's got his nephew with him. His name's Lot. And so Lot's watching the way that Abram follows after God, the way that he pursues God. Now, I, I'm certain of it without consequence. I would, I would openly say that there were times that Lot would come to him and say, Uncle, where we go next? And he would say, I don't know. I'm waiting to hear from the Lord. He learned to follow after Abraham as he was following God. But the time came in his life that Lot and, and Abram became so blessed and well endowed with goods and cattle and gold and silver and they started growing their team of people and they had hired staff and uh, they had so much staff that apparently they had a staff infection. Because the staff got to fighting with one another. Got to throwing nubs with one another, fighting. It wasn't good. 
they were fighting and they were, they were going at it. And so Abram and Lot came together and Abram said, hey, look, son, listen, we're, uh, we have to part ways here. He said, uh, we've got a couple options. You can go east and I'll go west or I'll go west. You can go east, whatever you want to do. I'm going to put the ball in your court, Lot. I'm going to let you pick which way you want to go. And so the scripture said that he chose the east. And from there, this powerful phrase of words came out. It said that there in verse 11, they separated themselves one from the other. But I'm going to tell you something that happened in this passage right here. As that Abram separated himself from Lot, but he didn't separate himself from God. Lot separated himself from Abram, but he wasn't connected to God. Lot was in a unique place that he knew how to follow a man that had a walk with God. He knew how to follow a man that followed God. But there is a vast difference in knowing how to follow somebody that follows God and learning how to follow God for yourself. Lot had a relationship with Abraham. Abraham had a relationship with God. Come on, that's worth about three amens right there. I said Lot had a relationship with Abram, but Abram had a relationship with God. There may come a time in your life that you are separated from the people that you have leaned on so much for strength. And at some point in our lives, we've got to get to a place where we can stand on our own, even though we've got the body of Christ with us. And I thank God for it. What I want to know is not how you stand when we're together, but how do you stand when you're by yourself? I love this church. I thank God for you people. And the more I travel, the older I get, the more I realize how blessed we are in Anderson. You are precious people. You love God. This church has deep roots. Um, I have friends that would, would absolutely concur with this thought process when I say to you there is no easier place in the world, in my opinion, to preach than right here at home to you precious people. You love the word of God. But I feel, like, I feel like sometimes there is a danger that comes to us that we get so attached to a certain way, a certain, a certain thing, and, and a certain voice, and a certain figure, and a certain picture. I know some of you are probably nervous right now because I just came home from a trip and I'm talking like this. Last night, Sister Juanita, or Monday night, was it? Yeah, Monday night. I walked into the skating party and Sister Juanita said, you hate California. I looked at her kind of funny. I said, no, I, I love California. She said, no, you don't. You don't like California. <laughs> I said, no worries, my sister. It's good to be home. Praise God. It's good to be in the house of the Lord with my peoples. Praise God. So don't go get worried. But I want to tell you there is a danger in building your relationship on a personality and on people. I thank God for the times that we get to be there with you and stand with you and, 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 and hold you up. But you know what? I've had times in my life where I was surrounded by people. And I've had times in my life where there was nobody around. And what you find out is your real strength is not discovered in the mix of a multitude. Your real strength and 
And audacity and who you are is discovered when you're all by yourself and there's nobody there to encourage you and there's nobody there to lift you up and there's nobody to pat you on the back. You ever had that person in your life that when you're standing there talking the word with somebody and somebody asks a tough question, you just kind of go, look at that person like, I'm going to let you go ahead and explain that. You ever done that? It's like, I, uh, I, 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 you know, yeah, well, I, I'll tell you what, I'm going to say, I'm going to say my opinion. Brother, go ahead. I want you to, I want you to share this. What are you, you going to do when you have to share by yourself? What are you going to do when God puts you in a place and there's nobody else there? That's why David said, Lord, inscribe. This is, this is a powerful word. In the ancient language because it gives you kind of the idea that this is literally like, it's like burned in, it's like a, it's etched into, like permanently, it's a fixture that's there. It's an indelible mark that will not leave. He said, I want you to, to put it in there. I want you to etch your word in the walls of my heart. Why does he want that? Because there may be a time in your life that, uh, now a lot of folks have Bible on their cell phone. I get that. I, I, I get that. Everybody's always got their phone with them. Good grief. It's like. It never departeth from thee. It's always there. But I, I, I want you to understand that I've had times in my life that I couldn't reach down and just pick up a Bible. But I did have something in my mind. I've had, I've had times in the middle of the night when I could not sleep and I could not rest. And I didn't know what else to do. And there was nobody there. There wasn't like... 1,500 pre- preachers in the room to lay their hand on me and say, Brother, in the name of Jesus, I cast off every spirit of darkness that's around you. Those are good times. Thank God for that, man. I love that. I, I love seeing people get blessed in the altar. But can you get blessed when you're by yourself in the darkness in the middle of the night and there's nobody there? I've, I've had those times where the night was so dark, I, I, did, I, I was like, I couldn't move. This may make you think less of me. I don't know. It's all right. And I've been so afraid that I, I couldn't move. Fear was debilitating. It's like this anxiety or something comes over and you're just laying in the bed like, oh, God, what am I going to do? I remember particularly the first week that I was the senior pastor of this church, which was 10 years ago this last week. It's been 10 years. Can you believe that? feels like a lifetime, don't it? Took the church on a Sunday night. My wife and girls left on Monday to go see my in-laws in Tennessee. So on Tuesday night, I was by myself at home. And in the middle of the night, there was a lot of things that happened, but some spiritual warfare began to transpire in my house. There was nobody there but me and Muggsy. He was my old buddy. Now I got Bobo. And Muggsy was my old buddy. And... I was laying in the bed, and I began to hear voices speaking to me, things that were happening. Uh, I know there's children here tonight, so I'll be very careful, but I can tell you that I woke up to the figure of a man standing in the doorway of my bedroom. It was a very, very dark deal. There was some craziness that was going on, a lot of fear, anxiety in the house. and So I just kind of called on the name of the Lord, and I, I started to go back to sleep. And just as I went to sleep, I heard a crash. I'm talking like there was no mistaking it. It wasn't like... One of those dream crashes, it was like the real deal. The other end of my house, there was nobody in my house. It was me and Mugga Man. We were laying on the bed. All the girls were gone. My wife was gone. Muggs was laying by me asleep. He, 
He didn't do anything. He just stayed there. He just laid there. Just, I'm like, you're a sorry dog. Rest his soul. Muggsy's in the front closet of our house in a wooden box. <laughs> Beauty for ashes. I sat up in the bed. And fear, I'm telling you. If you've ever been by yourself in the darkness, nobody there, and something just falls and crashes in the night, it's debilitating. Like, you can't, you can't do anything. And so I got up, and I ran up to the door and said, go get them, mugs. I got up. I flipped on the lights. I walked down the hallway. I looked. I couldn't find anything. Couldn't find I'm like, oh, God, what in the world is this? But I knew. I knew when it happened. That it wasn't a man. I knew that. Because of the things that I'd been wrestling in the night, I knew it wasn't a man. The next morning, finally, I, I slept through the night and I got up the next morning. And I walked into the kitchen. And I went into the hardest room in our house to get into was our pantry. In the kitchen, two big tall oak doors that my father-in-law was going to saw the end of them off one day. I could tell you that story some other time. And I opened up the doors and I walked in there and laying in the middle of the floor was the globe that my wife used for our kids homeschool and she stored it on the top shelf above all the food put away up in the back of a, of a shelf. And it was that globe that had crashed to the floor in the middle of the night. And when I walked in there and I saw that globe laying in the floor I heard the voice of the Lord say the enemy knows the global impact that this church is going to make. And he knows the impact that you're going to make in your ministry. And this is nothing but a spirit of intimidation. And this was Wednesday morning. And Wednesday night I started, the first Wednesday night as senior pastor, I started a series on spiritual warfare. Because when you got globes flying off of stuff in your house, you know that you got something woke up. But what do you do when there's nobody there? You got to have the kind of faith that'll carry you through in the darkness of the night. Brother Lang, you got to have it when you're on the mission field and there's nobody there with you. No, there, there, there was nobody there. Were you 18 when you went to India? Just over 20. 20 years old in a foreign country. What do you do? And I, I don't want to mess with nobody. I don't want anybody getting afraid. But what do you do when you're... A 20-year-old young man, and you know there's a lot of satanic activity going on, witchcraft, and all kinds of stuff where you're at, and craziness, and you walk by a, a cat, and the cat's face turns into the face of a man. Am I lying? What do you do when you're driving through the jungle, and bullets are ricocheting off of trees, but you're not at a national youth convention with three to 5,000 people encouraging you, saying, whoa, thank God for our missionaries. You got to have something that when you're separated from the body, you can make it. You got to have the kind of strength in the end time that you can stand on your own. Hey, I'm telling you right now, folks, I pray to God that we don't have to see some of the things that people in this world have already seen. But somebody somewhere at some point in your life, you're going to be tested as to whether or not you're going to stand for Jesus and let the world go by or you're going to love this present world. Every single one of us will have that opportunity in our lifetime. The Bible said that Lot and Abram separated. 
So now he goes east and Abram goes to the west. Lot picked the east because it was well watered. Looked like a good place to have a harvest. Oh my, my. Boy, I wish I had time to preach on this. I told a pastor today, he said, what are you teaching on tonight? And I started talking to him a little bit about it. I said, you know, Lot picked the way based on the kind of harvest he thought he could have. I said, but it's amazing that he almost lost his entire family over the decision to go somewhere where the harvest looked a little easier. I'm going to tell you folks, I mean this sincerely, I'm not saying this to be ugly. I don't have any respect for a man of God that will lay down convictions that are God-given for the sake of expanding a church. What good is it doing you to fill up seats with people if you've lost conviction to help those people get out of the muck and the mire of sin? I refuse to raise my family in a place because the harvest looks easier. I'm not going to take my family to the border of Sodom because... I refuse to lay my children on the altar of sacrifice so that we can expand building programs. Somebody asked me about the kind of church. Brother St. Clair, tell me about your church. I said, let me tell you the kind of church I pastor. I said, I pastor the kind of church that my kids can go to heaven from. I pastor the kind of church... That we, we're not going to vacillate on doctrine in the end time because we think God's going to wait till right now to give us some kind of new revelation. Hey, I'm telling you, we've got some, some circumstances in Pentecost right now. When the young men separate themselves from Abram, they don't know how to stand because their relationship was with the man and not with God. Young preachers. In this church that want to be preachers, your first sermon, your first sermon that you ever preach in front of a congregation ought to be loaded up from front to back with Jesus' name, baptism, one God, infilling of the Holy Ghost, Acts 2.38. You better know doctrine inside and out. You can't just preach things that you've heard preached and hope that it's going to get it done. you got to get conviction inside of you that when Abram is gone, you're still going to have something you can hold on to. And so, as the story, the story moves, you know, this, this is tough because I'm getting to a place right now. Lauren's making me promises she's probably not going to keep, but she's saying she's going to be with me for a long time. I'm not calling her a liar. I'm just saying I know how life works. She's getting ready to graduate. The first hairy-legged goober that comes around trying to steal her, he's going to see every gun I've got on the table. Well, they won't all fit on one table, but... I'm going to clean every stinking one of them. Just remember that. But when, when, when your kids separate from your house and they can name all 11 starters of the Indianapolis Colts, but they can't name the 11 apostles. You got me up here, choir? It's amazing when our kids can quote all the stats of Major League Baseball and don't know the 66 books of the Bible. It's a sad day when the only answer that our kids can give for why we dress different and look different is because that's what my pastor teaches. 
Why, why, why were you baptized in Jesus' name and not in Father, Son, Holy Ghost? they got to have a better answer than, well, just because Peter said you should. we got to put something in our children that when we have to walk away from them, they can stand for truth and have it inside their soul. Brother Carpenter told me the other day, I have to be super careful when I'm online because I want to imitate people. <laughs> we were in Louisiana the other day, standing on the platform, and I know when it's coming. I know Bishop pretty well, Bishop Carpenter. And he started playing with that pocket up there. I, I knew when he started pulling, and I started seeing that shoulder twitch a little bit, and he got to licking his lips, and he looked over at me. He said, Brother, 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 Brother St. Clair. He said, Brother St. Clair, let, let me tell you where I think we're missing it. He said, Brother St. Clair, we're missing it with our children. I said, yes, sir. He said, we ought to spend every dollar we can spend on our children at church. I said, talk to me. He said, these kids need the best Sunday school they can get. He said they need the best children's church they can get. He said, Brother St. Clair, we can't put our children on the back burner and expect them to love truth. We got to invest in them while they're little. Let me tell you something about Missions Conference 2022. We're going to be sure that the children of FPC are filled with doctrinal teaching and everything. I want our kids to be able to tell the truth of the word of God at five, six, seven years old. I want them laying hands on one another and kids receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I don't want them waiting till they get to the sanctuary. I want it in our classrooms. I want it in our children's church. I want it, I want it, I want it. I want it when the children's choir, and I know how it is, when the kids' choir sings on Sunday morning, we're like, oh. Isn't that cute? And it is. But I want it where when the kids' choir gets up here, there's so much anointing that feels this. Oh, God doesn't do that, Pastor. Ask Samuel. Where was Jesus at 13? He was confounding doctors and lawyers, he was confounding teachers. He was standing in there because he had the word in him. Well, that's easy. He was the author. You're right. But he is the author and the finisher of my faith. And I need to be pouring that faith into my children. And my children need to know. Listen, I'm telling you, before they know anything about television and movies and Disney or anything else, they need to know that there is one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. Our kids need to know at a young age, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Need to know it. They, they need to know it. So that when God puts an anointing on them and they walk out the doors of FPC to a mission field somewhere. And I don't care if it's in lapel or if it's in South Asia. I don't need to be worried about the young preachers leaving this church that don't know how to preach truth. Young preachers need to get a relationship with God. 
I want something in me. I, don't, I, don't, I thank God for the voices that speak in my life. I really do. I thank God. for. I've been blessed with that. I've been very blessed. There's not very many guys, for whatever, maybe multiple reasons, but there's not very many guys that pastor the same church that their grandfather and their father pastor. And I've had them voices in my ear for a long, long, long time. But I'm going to tell you, if there's anything that I know, I know that when R.B. Bingham drew his last breath, he knew he didn't have to worry about doctrine being preached in this church. And I'm not just talking me either. He'd get a hold of the old professor. That's what he called Brother Stephen. The professor. He'd, he'd come up to Brother Stephen Gill and he'd say, Are you a one God preacher? You better give a quick answer. I was cutting up one time. I don't even know why I said it. It was a stupid thing. I'm hurrying. I got to get where I'm going quick. But I was in front of Bishop Walls. Brother Lang, it was, was not good. Because I made the stupid statement. I was trying like hyperbole, you know. And I said, good grief. We've heard enough great preaching in my generation to resurrect another Savior. He went. I'm like, that's not what I'm saying, Brother Walls. Then you got it. There will never be another. He is God beside him. There is no other. Listen, we need to take some pressure off the elder saints of the kingdom of God so that they'll know in this generation there's always going to be an apostolic church. Uh, I probably ought to be real careful when I say this, but there is a difference in just calling yourself a Pentecostal preacher and being an apostolic preacher. We better position ourselves where signs are confirming the word. That was the lead balloon dropping over the crowd right there. So Lot chooses the way of the east. He makes his way down with his family. You read a couple chapters in, we come to a pretty dark time. The men of Sodom are knocking on his door. Because the Lord had to send angels to get him out. Angels knocking on the door. And the men of Sodom came and knocked on the same door and said, Hey! you got in your house here. One of the greatest revelations I've ever seen in this story is how that a spirit of perversion will always try to seduce the supernatural. Here they are knocking on the door. Let us in, let us in. God has to blind them. Terrible. Now you, 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 you've heard the conversation. I don't have time to preach it all, but you've heard the conversation. Abram's in a conversation with the Lord. Hey, any, any way that for 45, would you just save the city? Yeah, if we could get a few to be righteous. And he walks them all the way down through. Lord, what about if we could just get 10 right? Yep, I'll save the city for 10 righteous. The story is that the city is not saved. So this ought to tell you something. Couldn't find 10 righteous people. There were 10 folks that. Knew about Uncle Abram. 
but very few that knew anything about a walk with God. Because the greatest influence in their life became the voices of Sodom and Gomorrah. And they were so dislocated from the voice of their great uncle that there was a great gulf fixed between them. Nobody could get to them. And so I've preached for years and years and years. I've been preaching for years and years. I think we all have. Oh, what a horrible influence. What a Sodom. Oh, dear God. Oh, my, my, Sodom. And, and even in the New Testament, you know, if these things would have happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, the Lord would add mercy on them. This generation, you know, goes on. Sodom and Gomorrah. Whoa, what a terrible place. But listen, I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not. I'm quickly closing. But you do know that in the text we read tonight, that Abram gave Lot the choice to take the east or the west. That tells me that if Lot would have chosen the west, then Abram would have went east and would have planted somewhere in the direction of Sodom. But I believe that Israel, uh, that Abram would have lived for God in Sodom. What, what, what are you saying? I'm saying, don't blame the land. Lot wasn't lost because of what was happening in Sodom. Lot was lost because of what was happening in him. I'm telling you that our children are not going to be lost because of the darkness that's in this world. But we had better guard our homes from the darkness of this world getting in our homes. If our children are lost, it is not because of wicked and perverse generation. Don't blame the land. If we don't have revival, it is not Sodom's fault. If we don't have revival, it's the righteous fault. Because we would rather blame Sodom than we would to live for God. Let's, let's stand together. i got to hurry. You follow what I'm saying to you tonight. Abram could have chose the same way and made it. Now, I, I, I know that at this point it's all hypothetical because he didn't. But I will tell you what did happen. It's apparent that Lot was choosing that way because it looked like a good harvest field. Pretty good soil. Well watered. The way to the west is a little dry. Didn't look real good, but you know what happened? Read your Bible. Abram went over there and had prosperity. Great harvest. Because it's not the land's fault. Abram could have harvest in Sodom. Or he could have harvest to the west. Didn't matter. It's not the land's fault. If we're going to have revival, we're going to have revival in spite. You do realize that the first century church had revival in spite of persecution. And more than likely, you and I in the end time church are going to have to have revival in spite of persecution. But we haven't seen it happen yet. There's still a testing time that's going on. And the Lord's been watching us while we're blaming the land. We're saying nobody in America wants revival. The devil is a liar. This nation not only wants revival, they need revival. And we're going to have revival. 
Nobody wants this message. The devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. And the truth is not in him. There is absolutely the most powerful revival that we've ever seen. But we've got to quit blaming the land. And we've got to get something in us that says we're going to fight until we have it. Oh, don't blame the land. You know, Pastor, I just have my own political ideas. Well, good, keep them your own. Because we need revival more than we need policies. Well, if they'd close this down, they'd open this and all this. Look, I see it all unfolding right now. We're, we're, we're pulling money out of Russian oil. We're fixing to start moving it to Iran. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Going to have a little Persia going on here. It's Persia in your Bible. The same Persia that we tried to defund the nuclear program. So we got to figure out a way to get money in there. How are we going to do it? Well, we got the Prince of Persia working over here. We got the Big Bear working in Russia. We pulled it off. We see it all. But we're not going to blame the land. I'm saying to you, oh, God, what are we going to do, Pastor, if there's a nuclear war? We're going to have revival. What what if we die? Oh, what if we die? Then you better get ready. What if a war breaks out? You better be at war right now. I don't say this to be ugly, but the Lord's not coming back for a jelly-backed pansy church. He's coming back for warriors that have prepared themselves and you made yourself ready. When he comes back, I want him to find a sword in my hand and the shield of faith in the other hand. I want the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, my loins girt about with truth. I plan on fighting anyhow. I hope we don't go through tribulation. But if we do, you better be ready before you get there. Let's lift our hands to Jesus. Uh, Lord, I don't believe you're coming back for a watered down church. Come on, it's still a few minutes early tonight, church. If you're willing to endure to the end with this thing, I want you to step out by faith. Make your declaration to the Lord tonight. I'm through blaming the land. I'm going to have revival anyway. I'm tired of blaming America. I'm tired of blaming Russia. I'm tired of blaming Ukraine. I'm tired of blaming Iran. I'm ready to have revival and let your kingdom come and your will be done right here.